Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I have with me uh, Steve Gilman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Range. Steve is a Columbia Business School MBA alum. And today, we're going to talk about Steve's journey to business school, as well as his journey to developing and helping be, or helping grow uh, Range, which is a professional development platform. And I'm excited to hear a little bit more about Steve's journey, as well as what he's doing now and how he was inspired to work in the professional development space. So Steve, first off, thanks for joining. And I always love starting with a warm-up question. So my warm-up question for you is, what's a recent podcast or album that you've listened to? Uh, what are you listening to these days in the audio world? Hey, Al, thanks for, for having me. So excited to be on today. Um, I'm a big fan of the warm-up question. I live here in New York City and I take the subway every day, meaning podcasts is a good 40 minutes of my life. I'm a big fan of anything that is put out by Guy Raz um, on NPR. So one of the greatest things I was looking to in the past week was his show Wisdom from the Top. They take leaders from organizations across the world and talk about their leadership styles and what they've done to improve those organizations. There was one recently on retired general Stan McChrystal that really resonated with me just in his leadership style. He was a four-star general in charge of a big area of the world in a big time of conflict. And I, I think listening to that gave a uh, gave pretty good perspective for those folks in the military or not in the military about leadership. Yeah. Uh, Stanley McChrystal, or General Stanley McChrystal, has written um, a couple. I think a couple books now that are have been uh, chronicled a lot of his thinking as well as his additional research from that time that you were mentioning that have been really, really important and really valuable. I think uh, to the corporate world. We'll link some of those in the show notes if anyone wants to check them out. But I can definitely see how that would be just really insightful and really valuable, just given your own uh, experience. And I guess speaking of that, could you talk a little bit about your professional history, just before you went to get your MBA, what were you doing? What were some of the experiences you had? Awesome. Yeah. So I definitely entered a full-time MBA program as someone with a non-traditional background. Here in New York at Columbia, that means you don't come from consulting or um, some kind of finance background. Uh, very proud of my history. So I graduated with an undergrad degree in engineering. I also spent a good deal of my time over those four years playing baseball. So my first job that I was lucky enough to have and signed for was professional baseball. I was drafted in 2008 after graduating from school, and I was sent right to spring training down in Lakeland, Florida. I was with the Detroit Tigers. Spent about three years there and ultimately had a chance to meet a lot of great people I'm still in touch with today and had a blast doing it. I had some injuries that made me look at other parts of life and what I wanted to get into next. I was the kind of person where in the locker room or at spring training, I was reading all kinds of different things like spy novels, talking to friends who went into government service. And I decided that, hey, maybe this is something I could be interested in too as a career. So I left spring training, 
right before a season started and just said, I have to pursue um, a passion of mine, which was government service and ultimately military. I worked for about a year or so as an engineer with the Department of the Army before transferring into an intelligence agency down in Virginia under the Department of Defense. I had a blast doing what I did for about four years. I had a chance to travel overseas and work out of embassies in Cairo and Abu Dhabi. And it really taught me quite a bit about life experiences, other cultures, and my place in the world. I showed up at business school with no knowledge of profit, loss, corporate finance, or marketing, which are skills that I now apply today. And so I used business school as a complete transition from a non-traditional background to doing what it is I do today. And what initially led you to want to get that MBA? Like, what were some of those initial motivations for pursuing an MBA in the first place? Yeah, it's excellent. So when I when I look back on my experience, I thought of government service a little bit like I'd thought of the military. Serve your time, get some experience, and then look out onto the rest of the journey. It came a little quicker for me because... I mentioned I travel overseas. I was out of Embassy Cairo working with um, the defense attache's office, and a couple interesting things came together in my world. One, I was in Cairo during an Arab Spring, during Ramadan, during a transition of power with Mubarak. So what was happening outside of my window was happening in world events. This was also played into what was going on in the civil war in Syria. And so the State Department actually pulled me out of Cairo before my mission was over. And I took that as a sign that I wanted to make sure I could figure out what else I could do to help the world. Um, what that means is functionally, I've always looked out for teammates of mine, other junior officers at this point, And I've always found that the best leaders make other leaders, right? Create other people who can lead folks. And so... What I found myself doing that day, transitioning from one country to another and trying to refocus a mission and, and get out of harm's way was actually me understanding that I needed to know more about how leaders function and how organizations function to have a greater place in this world. So I got to Abu Dhabi where I spent a few months and I applied to business school back in, you know, August 2012, but I actually wrote the application out of a hotel next to the embassy in, in UAE. And it was then that I decided I was going to pursue something and I wanted to get back to New York city to decide what that was and explore. Yeah. It's funny how you can remember those moments, right. In terms of when you do those things that in the moment, I mean, they may seem inconsequential, but they end up being, you know, pretty big and meaningful when you were applying, or even when you stepped foot on campus at Columbia, when you got there, what did you have in mind for uh, the career path that you thought you wanted to pursue either for an internship or potentially for a full-time opportunity? What was going in your head? I mean, I know you definitely wanted to develop other leaders and uh, develop that skill set for the ability and the capability to do that. But what did that look like in terms of your career aspirations at that point? Yeah. So I had, uh, and, and I think this is common, at least with 50% of the folks coming into business school that I have talked to. Business school is a great chance to explore. Full-time programs give you two years with a .edu after your last name where anybody will talk to you about anything. You know, my application went in and that was 10 months before I landed on campus. So a few different things happened. You always have to write an essay about what you want to be in life and how you can explore that. And that's a soul-searching process. 
I wrote my application on wanting to work for this company called McKinsey. It's a great consulting firm that helps a lot of folks with a lot of problems, especially at the corporate level. That is as generic as it gets for someone applying to business school, especially with my background, but it's what I knew. The pivotal moment for me was that when I got back stateside and I had a few months to explore working with the government, but knowing I was going to business school is I only did things that I was passionate about. I only worked with groups that I thought had the most interesting mission. And I worked to help other junior officers get to where they needed to, specifically within a promotion board scenario that the agency had set up. I actually became a special advisor to HR for the um, agency as a collateral duty, a side duty in the civilian world, which helped me understand that my passion, passion was really empowering others. So when I stepped foot on campus, I didn't write off the idea of going to a consulting firm, but I definitely spent all my time exploring then forward how to be a leader, how to work through organizational change and behavior, the science behind motivation and what you can do to help others reach their potential. And that's because I had a chance to explore knowing that I was actually leaving the government at that time. I think that is really neat. And I, one of the things I've found, at least from my own experience with my own interests and aspirations is that the things that end up bubbling up for me are the things where I start just without really even thinking about it, going down the rabbit hole and getting into the second and the third layer around it. I know any good business school is going to teach you about organizational dynamics and how to act on a team, but your desire to go study the annals of motivation and influence and all of those other types of things leads me to believe that it really was something that you really were excited about and really wanted to pursue. Yeah. The other piece is business schools make it very easy to explore whatever you want. So yeah, everybody has such a diverse um, yeah. background and experiences. So you show up to a corporate finance class, the person next to you that's a VP at Goldman Sachs for a few years usually knows the answers and can yeah. speak to those things. Sure. The, the world in which I um, was helping to teach other folks, although very narrow, was in an organizational change course where people said, hey, has anybody gone through some tumultuous examples of an organization trying to change what they did. And I was the one that said, hey, under General Flynn, we thought we were going to get furloughed three times over. And I saw how it impacted people. Here's what they did to try to change things. I'd love to discuss with people of different backgrounds where we might have gone wrong and where we might have gone helpful. And I stayed in touch with all my friends from the intelligence world. And I'd consistently pass back information about what's the newest thinking on organizational and, and cultural changes. And so that's just the place I felt most comfortable after after my non-traditional background. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're right. That is the beauty of it in business school. It's it's a chance where you do get to learn from, from other people, but you also get to pick your spots in terms of where you get to contribute. And I think that's a really good example of that. Okay. So you graduate from Columbia Business School. What's next? You know, what happens after you graduate and what was that experience like in your career? I like to say that I I was relatively risk adverse working with big organizations. I had a good resume to continue to work at larger organizations. Even, even in my baseball career during the off season, I worked at Johnson and Johnson and I fit in real well there. It was great. It's a large organization with a lot of good engineers and it was very comfortable to me. So during um, my summer internship, I took an internship with IBM, great tech company out of Austin, Texas. 
explored everything I could, met some interesting people, got a job offer for the GMLDP, which is General Management Leadership Development Program. It's 10 folks globally that come out of full-time business school that go through three years of rotations, consulting, one year overseas, one year in strategy before becoming what IBM calls a general manager. I accepted that job and then spent the rest of my time at business school, a semester and a half, fighting like heck to make sure that I would explore everything else that was out there. I found myself in every VC and entrepreneurial class I could be in. I linked up with a co-founder who I met down in Austin, and we started a business from the ground up. I spent most of my time running down free legal advice from professors that were lawyers, talking to every investor in New York City while I still had time to do so. And we ended up landing a couple contracts and raising money so that when I graduated in May, I was able to call IBM and say, hey, I know I signed on the dotted line. I was looking forward to it. I wasn't applying for new jobs, but I am able to support myself and run with a dream. And lucky for me, they said, great. They actually wrote an article on it. They're trying to recruit entrepreneurs. So they'd rather have you try to build a company than take the second year off. But it just so happened it worked out for me. And, and I've never looked back. Um, the small team, high accountability and building a vision into something real that betters other people's lives. It's just where I fit. And I had a chance to do that directly after graduation. That's a really neat story. What gave you the, either the confidence, the desire, the interest to, and you, cause you were really thinking about those big companies to, to, to really feel excited about the opportunity to do something that was entirely different. What, what prompted that? Yeah. I was looking at the big companies, right? Tech seems about right with my engineering degree. I also applied and uh, interviewed for every consulting firm, including McKinsey. I was ninth on the list for McKinsey, New York. I was very stubborn about where I went. I wanted to be in New York. So there was a limited pool. They only took eight of us. So I was the outlier. Had I had gotten that job, I may never have tried to explore any, any other path coming out of business school. What really did it for me is I found an inspiring co-founder who complimented, you know, my skills as an operator and, and someone who likes to, to execute. He was coming out of business school from Texas A&M, and he was someone that just inspired me to keep running with this. I think when I look back, business school gave me a good basis and taught me a lot of the fundamentals, but my co-founder of my first company, Adam Ward, was the one who uh, taught me about the rest of business, including sales, marketing, branding, and, and leading teams. So it was a combination of a good idea um, and a good team. And I, I ran with it. I couldn't help but not run with it. It was fun. That's, that's really exciting. And I think it also speaks sometimes to the fact that while you can't always know the things that are going to happen or how they're going to unfold, the ability to take advantage of the opportunities that are right in front of, front of you and to explore them and keep going with them and keep pushing yourself to follow those curiosities and whether it's to try things, to build things, to learn or whatnot, uh, just being able to increase the surface area for opportunities to your interest to turn into opportunities, I think probably was what helped facilitate some of this into, into action. And I don't know if you, you found this in your experience, Al, I'd be interested. Some of the folks going into business school asked me about how to explore, right? Hey, yeah. I've got this, this institution. I have all these professors. There's so much going on. I usually give the advice of trying to 
write things off you don't want to do. So you're not explaining them. So for me, I knew I didn't want to go into finance or iBanking. Just a different culture, different skill sets. I never saw myself being a career path. And I explored that enough to write it off. Cool. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm never yeah. joining the Goldman Sachs talk on why you want to be an MD here. And I did that enough. So I wrote enough stuff off that I got to pinpoint concentration. And I think when you do that at any point in your career, if you want to make a transition, you very clearly understand, like, I'm, I'm never going into iBanking, right? But I do know people I spent time with that are in consulting and are in the entrepreneurial or general management for a tech company. And so now I have a better understanding that arms me for later in, in life. I think, no, I think that's great advice. I think process of elimination really helps. And it also, I think sometimes helps, particularly if the thing that you're trying to eliminate tends to be really popular with other people in terms of feeling that FOMO or the fear of missing out. So I, I love that strategy. I think the other one that I always you know think about too is is just finding the, the people who you want to explore with or ideate with or build with or, or whatever it is. I think inherently... I mean, we all talk about for anyone who wants to go to business school or is in business school, we talk about the network and what that actually manifests itself into the day-to-day -day experience in the MBA program is really thinking about, okay, well, if I'm going to be here, you know, who are the types of people that it'd be fun to spend time with, to explore with, to learn from, to learn with, to build with, et cetera, et cetera. And so that is the other one in addition to, yeah, being able to if you know you don't want to do something, we'll cross it off the list and just ignore it. Because at least for me, at least, it definitely fall victim to FOMO at times. So that is very much a really good strategy. Yeah, I love that. I couldn't agree more. It also, it gets competitive in business school sure. for certain jobs. So if sure. you're not competing yeah. for certain jobs, you're yeah. not wearing yourself too thin. Yeah. So you're the uh, founder of another company now, which is Range. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what it is, what you do. And how did you come up with it? Because I know this is different from your, the first company that you were a part of post-MBA. My first company was a live event and hospitality company called Block Party. We were based out of Dallas, Texas. I moved back during COVID to the New York area when live events were not happening so much. And I had two goals outside of starting a venture, a venture company. One was to work with my now co-founder and CTO, Hutan Fanasalik. He's an individual that inspired me to, to pursue my passions. He's also the best technical mind that I know. He's also a good friend of mine. I met him when he was building his first company. So, hey, if I can move back to New York, I can work with Hutan, we'll figure it out. The other piece of it is that we both understood we wanted to work with something we are passionate about that we can run with for the next 20 years. So we talked about a lot of different things together. Outside of prototyping or me writing a business plan, we tried to understand what it is that we were grounded in. And ultimately, we came together on this concept that professional development after graduation for a knowledge worker, so between graduation and retirement, is very unstructured. It's a little confusing. And lifelong learning is so important, but there's no pathway to how to do it, both as employees, operators, students. We never quite put together why companies didn't invest in the top talent. Attract, retain, grow, right, is, is always the model of the top companies out there. But something that seems so easy to us wasn't a widespread thing. So in our past, we've had the government, or in Hutan's case, Lockheed Martin, a defense contractor, pay for master's degrees, but we've had issues along the way. 
administrative issues, having to get personal loans to float credit card bills, going through the class. It was, it was a very painful process. And we realized together that we were actually the lucky ones, right? The company stepped up and said, we'll pay for these degrees. It's the folks outside of just myself and Hutan that didn't have the opportunity to step up that are probably still with those entities, right? Or organizations. And so we derive this concept of making sure that every employee at companies know that their company is investing in them and they have inspiring professional development opportunities. Our goal is to do a very individualized and inclusive approach. Individualized meaning someone gets inspired by something very different depending on where they are in their career, their job function, what their peers are doing. And then inclusive just means that, you know, there's people that step up in organizations all the time, they get opportunities. There's other people well-deserving of those opportunities that may not know how to do so, don't have the right manager, or don't understand how the structure actually works for doing that. So we came up with range and we've been running on that path ever since fighting for others that, that don't necessarily have the professional development opportunities in front of them. That's a great story. And I can certainly understand just based off what you said from your own experience in terms of uh, what you found and what your co-founder found. And I'm sure you've in the ideation phase and probably even now that you've done a lot of customer development conversations, talking with folks uh, that are out there, whether there's professionals themselves or people who are in charge of uh, learning and development managers and the like within organizations, would be curious to know a little bit more just around, like, what are some of the challenges with how this works today? And part of the reason why I ask is, I think to your point, I do, I think most people intuitively can wrap their minds around the fact that, particularly if you're a knowledge worker, that once you get a four-year degree, we are at a point now where you're not just going to never learn again, right? Like I, I think most people can intuitively grasp that it's probably not good to sit on your laurels, but there, and on the other side of it, I do think companies generally understand that if we can help our employees learn, like they'll probably be able to do their jobs better, which will lead to better outcomes. But where is then the gap and, and what did you, what did you find there? That's an excellent question and great insight. So we believe that corporate learning and development has to be changed in order to receive the ROI from the company side and people need a pathway to learning. That means is we're very targeted in our approach and we're working with the folks um, that have the greatest need and see the world that, that we see. We work with mostly technology companies with technical talent that once they get their degree, wherever that ends for them, high school into boot camps, undergrad, graduate, PhD level, you start to find that the half-life of engineering skills is getting shorter and shorter. And to invest in those people, it doesn't take that much. You don't generally send people back for master's degrees with an $80,000 bill. You're sending to 500 to $1,000 courses a year so that they get their certificates they need to press on. So we start there. It's also with the labor market being the way it is, there's a battle for top technical talent. So the difference between getting someone who's tremendously skilled and always up learning, upskilling, and someone who, um, who doesn't have the right training coming in is huge. I think there's two insights we derived when we, we came up with the company. The first is like any good entrepreneur should do. We had a thesis and we put together a website and launched it through Wix, right? This was, uh, 
January of 2021, we launched a website that basically aggregated different content. It was a B2C model. So you can land on our website, take a quick survey, and we would point you to the right course you should take to upskill. Within two days, we had enough people coming in and 50% of those people would ask us how their company would reimburse them for it, right? So if you're taking a $2,000 course, is that for you to do to get the job or is that for your company to pay for? Overwhelmingly, people without a clear pathway of what a, a course is going to do for them acknowledged it was the company that needed to pay for it and they asked us for support. Right away, we knew it was a B2B model. It's the company's ROI after all. I think the other piece that we realized along the way is there's a huge disconnect between company leadership and employee in often cases. And I, you know, coming from a big organization like the government department of defense, you see this all the time and it's not for lack of understanding or capacity or organization. It's just inherent. And that's why we use technology to solve it. So the example would be you walk up to the head of a thousand person company and you ask the head of learning and development what kind of tools employees have to upskill and whether they have choice over how they upskill. And that person will generally give you an answer about, hey, they have these tools and somewhere in there will be, but if they really want something and we don't have the tool for it, we'll reimburse them. And we call it a professional development allowance or an upskilling budget or continuous education. You say, awesome, that's great. Then you walk over to any employee in the company someone that just onboarded, someone that was about to leave, a mid-level manager who had been there for a while. And you said, did you know this program's in place? Did you know that you can grab any course that one of your peers took? You can grab any book as long as it's relevant to your career and the company will reimburse you for it. And very, very clear to us during our discovery process, early on, the answer was, I had no idea. I think I had heard about someone using it. I wouldn't know where to go to use it, even if the administration part was really easy. And so there's an inherent disconnect and we apply technology. So the favorite part about our job is that we get to connect the employees with the managers who do the approvals to the companies and show value throughout. The employees get what they want. They get credit. The managers are able to save time, discover tools for their people and have the company sponsor it. And the people teams that we work through are company leadership now has the ability to see how employees are upskilling. And to no surprise, the top learners are usually the top performers that continue to upskill. And they're the top people that you want to keep around, but you always want to give the um, transparency to everyone in the organization so that they can reach their potential. And I think it's been, I think it's been an awesome journey. At the end of the day, we are employee-driven development, meaning we will change the learning and development world by showing employees know best what functional tools they know uh, they need to extend and be productive in their career. And we'll pass that data back to learning and development to create programs. So as I'm thinking about as you're describing all this, and it is really, really interesting to me as somebody who thinks about this all day, going through this process of what you've been on so far with Range, we'll be curious to know how is your time in business school and the experiences you had there or the learning you got there in your own development really helped you take on this role of exploring this market and trying to solve this problem through range? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So twofold. One, I needed to get unstuck from my current role and experiences, right? So that traditional, non-traditional background going into business school, got to explore everything. That gives you a network. It gives you confidence, at least that you can work with people in different areas everywhere in business. 
and it gives you tools to explore as well as leadership ability. To no one's surprise, everyone at business school, no matter what the course is, is going to be building soft and power skills, running group projects, public speaking, presenting, communications, time management, executive functions like that. And so you gain all those skills and you try to fill in the gap when you get to the real world. The other thing it gave me was knowledge of who you are as a leader becomes abundantly clear when you're with other talented folks, right? People from all around the world, people with different industries and backgrounds, you kind of find your place. And so you know who you work well with functionally, how to be a leader, at least where to start. And it's the greatest thing that, that you can imagine coming out of investment. So you've been building range for a while and you're just sounds like you're just getting started. So what's, uh, what's next? What can we expect from you and the range team in the future? Yeah. You know, there's, when we started, we wanted to be part of the conversation about how the future of work was changing and how, if you trust employees, they will surprise you 100% of the time with, with how motivated they are to get to reach their potential and help the company. Being part of the conversation was awesome. It was a first goal that we had, and we know industry leaders that are doing that. We've made so much progress now, and we have conviction in our path for employee-driven development that we're here to change it. We're here to change the way that people from graduation to retirement actually function within their career. We're here to give the best professional development opportunities. We're here to make sure that companies derive an ROI from investing in their people. It's truly the best investment you can make. You know, a lot of times it's seen as a benefit going into a company to show that they have unlimited upskilling or different opportunities. And, and we think that's awesome. We also wholeheartedly believe it will be the way that changes the world. So not only is it a benefit to someone coming in who wants it, but if employees have been asking for it for so long, why is it just not a piece of every company's DNA out there? And so we're just getting started. I love the idea about putting it into the DNA of a company. I think that's a really great metaphor and a really great way to uh, end the conversation. Steve uh, Gilman, the founder of Range, thank you so much for joining. People want to learn more about you or learn more about Range. Where can they go? Yeah, just go to uh, getrange.com, G-E-T range.com. And we would be happy to talk with you about professional development programs. We love helping companies and their employees succeed. Hi, everyone. LD here, and thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.